Like Pogs, Ska, and AOL, Blockbuster Video is long gone. Unlike those things, we still have fond memories of Blockbuster. And on the Talkbuster podcast, host Chris Shipman helps us relive those bygone days. Every episode, Chris Shipman and a guest remember their times at the Blue and Gold and share stories of their time there, giving you a rare insight into your neighborhood video rental store. Find it on your favorite podcasting site today. Welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today? Uh, you know, if someone looked at me um, <laughs> and asked me that in person, they might say I seem like I'm going through something. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, but I've known you long enough that you always kind of look in some version of that. Yeah, but I get but what I... you mean. Yeah, but I did shave my head an hour ago and my face, so I look kind of oh, went from yeah. hair about at shoulder length to nothing right now. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I can see that in my mind. No, I don't like. No, I've known you shaggy and hairy more often than not. And I, no, do not approve. Yeah, long hair is kind of my normal, but uh, my life went through a large change last week that was. You know, it was a long time coming, but it's still a big thing, and so yeah, I'm just. Dealing with it, okay? How are you doing? <laughs> uh, I'm coming off the end of a very long week, but I have family in town visiting, and we're going to go to the Seattle Zoo tomorrow, so there's that to look forward to. All right. It's, you know, I feel like we go quite a while in between normal episodes now, so every time I feel like I say that, it's been a while since we've done something like this, because we do a bunch of other stuff in between. Plus, we're in the off-season now, so yep. I don't even know what I feel anymore. <laughs> So tired. before That's you get tired, feel. oh, definitely tired, very tired all the time. So, but I finally have a computer that can play Total War, and I discovered the love of that. So that's helping. Oh, good. I don't know <laughs> when this episode's going to come out in relation to other episodes, but there's a Total War episode in the works. Awesome. Well, maybe Ulrich, maybe we'll start a campaign, you and I, now that I can play it and I've seen you playing. Well, anyway, <laughs> I think we have a sound off before we get started. We do. The people that like our, you know, opening rambles so much are like, hey, I'm going to give these guys a dollar. They are our wonderful, wonderful patrons. And in exchange for their support, the least we can do is read off their names. They are Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vay, Brendan Agnew, John Vinnels, Kate Kenny, Donna Lucy, Nathan Willis, Patrick Anderson, Carson Mill, and Scott Rubin. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. 25 cents an episode guarantees that we can keep producing content week to week, day to day. And now we get into the episode proper, and I'm going to be right up front that I already know the topic, and... I had no input in this particular topic, so I'm curious where uh, it came from. <laughs> but Ulrich, what are we talking about today? We are talking about five sitcom tropes that need to die. And this is one I'm pulling from my personal vault because I'm a self-admitted sitcom junkie. That's one of my favorite things to put on in the background and just kind of comfort watch. I got enough. a handful I go through. But to me, there's nothing better than I don't know what I want to watch. I'm just going to watch this non-committal half-hour comedy thing. So, I won't go into the whole speech, don't worry, but uh, in video game terms, that's called abnegation, where you play a game so you can tune out and not think about it. Shows, their shows do the same thing, and sitcoms tend to be great for that. I mean, I myself 
am I use Star Trek more for that, but still, like things like that '70s show, yep. uh, Scrubs, yep. the first half of How I Met Your Mother, like uh, How I Met Your Mother hasn't aged well. You know, it's true. It's been probably about four years since I watched it, so I have no idea. But I'm just saying that, I mean, the big one for me was that 70s show in Titus, yep. but no one knows Titus, unfortunately. So, <laughs> But no, and because of that, you know, I find myself discovering certain tropes and getting really angry about certain tropes, even in my favorite, you know, shows. Oh, sidebar, since we're talking about uh, sitcoms, I was reading an article today about stuff in TV that is wrong, that at this point has been wrong so long, it's it has no excuse. And one thing I was reading was talking about how hospitals and TV tend to be completely misrepresented in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to nurses. Yep. And that and that the medical community has said that one of the shows that gets it better than basically any other show is Scrubs, because Scrubs gives a lot more attention to the nurses and storylines about like them knowing more than the doctors, them doing all the real work and getting paid pittance for it. And I thought that was kind of neat. So Well the first couple seasons they had the real JD on set to consult and help, you know, pitch ideas and Kind of go, that's not how that works. Yeah. So, anyway, I just thought that was interesting. So. Yeah, no, I, this was originally scheduled sooner, but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. And I had just finished my most recent rewatch of Scrubs, and I was all fired up about, this is dumb shit that I hate, and I'm going to rant about it. And I have a podcast where I can rant about it. So, <laughs> And so Ulrich brought his top five, and I scrambled together a, a top five in about, Literally about seven minutes. I, I mean, I've watched a lot of sitcoms, so it's fine. But I went and like found just some lists. I don't think online. the tropes bug you as much as they do me. We've had this conversation. There's somebody like, oh, that annoys me, but that's not like it is from you. Me? I will say, of my top five, only my number one is something that actively infuriates me. The rest of it is just like annoyances. Yeah, no, there's a couple on here that it just I've watched enough. And it's like, oh god, this needs to die. And here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that because I'll admit that like my number five is something I've seen a bunch of times. But if you ask me for specific examples, I probably wouldn't be able to bring them up. So if you if we're going to mention one, the challenge or at least the kind of requirement is to try to list at least two or three shows that do this. And if you can't, we're only going to count call it like a half pick, (laughs) which I'm. Which I'm putting to myself and more than you, but just saying. There, there's one on here because I, I asked on social media back, you know, and I said, hey, what is your number one most hated sitcom trope that you just want to die a horrible death? And ironically, the number one response I got was also my number one. Hmm, funny because I behind the scenes, I can see his whole top five and he can see mine. And I I guess I get it, but that one doesn't bug me. And we'll get to talk about it when we get to it. So let's go in. Reverse order, obviously, uh, but let's start with uh, – I have an honorable mention. I know you have a couple honorable mentions, and let's go me, you, so we end with yours because I think that's the one that you said voted, and then we can end on your number one. I think that's a good way to do it. Okay. All right. So my honorable mention, which is just something that bugs me to no end, is people in bed, especially waking up, who look like they are in full makeup. Like, absolutely, completely full makeup. I have, let's let me put it this way. I have had multiple live-in, I've lived with people, a lot. (laughs) And I see how people look when they wake up. I see how myself looks when I wake up. And it's, it's, again, it's just an honorable mention because it's just such a little thing, but it's such a giant, like, 
pick in the eye. I don't know how to explain it, you know? No, that one I'm aware of, but it doesn't bug me because it's just, I accept everyone on TV is wearing makeup always. I so think I have a, I think I have a general, sorry, I just think I have a general problem with Hollywood's issues with looks in general, like the idea of Hollywood ugly and, and stuff like that. And, you know, we've talked a bit about this in the past, so anything that attaches to it just gets in my craw. So. Yeah. Now, the version of this that bugs me is people are clothed immediately after having sex. Yeah. That's the one that's like, how did that work? How did any of that work? Hmm. Like, the worst example is you see a bra lying on the ground and the character is wearing a bra in bed going, what is happening here? Yeah. I mean, that, that also touches on the L blanket. Have you heard of the L blanket? Does it have to do with super, uh, super glue nipples? Kind of. Yeah, it's the idea that the blanket must be shaped like an L because it covers the woman up to the chest, but the man up to the waist. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, no, that whole one, is just, it's a minor little thing, but it fits in that vein of, that's annoying. I understand why they do it, but I wish they'd put a little bit more effort. Yeah, exactly. And I think that in a sitcom, having your characters, your actors look not gorgeous all the time is perfectly fine. There's actually a weird thing in comedy settings, the relationship between how good a comedian looks and how funny they are. I was reading an article about this recently. It's It was aimed at men before someone gets on me. It's about like how generally, for lack of a better term, Chad looking at a conventionally attractive guys don't tend to be funny, or at least they have a harder time succeeding in the comedy realm. So I don't know. It's just a Anyway, we can move on. I guess it's just an honorable mention. It's just a thing that bugs me. So, All right, should I do my honorable mentions, or you want to jump straight to your number five? No, no, go, let's do your honorable mention, because I see it's just one, and I have something to say about it. The fake documentary format, it doesn't. It hasn't gotten to the point that it completely grates on me, and there are shows that are you know, finding interesting, unique ways to do it, like what we do in The Shadows does a great job of actually utilizing the camera crew, but the ones that just say, hey, this is a fake documentary, and then never explain it or have shots that don't make sense or just they're, they're aping the office. It bugs the hell out of me. Like, what is the point of this except to ape other more successful series? Okay, so a couple things about that. One, I was literally reading a Cracked article yesterday. Holy shit, Compl- Cracked is still around? Yeah, they do. I belly up. Nope, they put out uh, articles daily, and it's still a great place to just get like a – some loose information every day about just stuff that's happening. It's it's one of my it's one of my normal haunts. So, but they wrote this article that was talking about this is Spinal Tap and how this is Spinal Tap essentially created the mockumentary format. And while they existed in one form or another before this is Spinal Tap, uh, most obvious example would be something like A Hard Day's Night, the Beatles mockumentary, which is an actual documentary with the Beatles, but done with you know like character in her drama and like comedy and stuff like that so it was like kind of building up to it but this is spinal tap was the first to really touch or really do that and figure out what works with the mockumentary format which is you know things like by uh focusing on comedic silences and awkwardnesses and being a character kind of focused thing because you're literally focusing on just people in seemingly normal situations and i think okay first of all i'm gonna paint a giant tar on my back here i don't like the office I've tried. There are a few bits in it that work for me, but generally it's not for me. I like yeah, Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec is good. Yeah, I think Parks and Rec is amazing, especially after uh, after the first season. No I think thirty the first season. Yeah, I think Thirty Rock is pretty good. Uh, was it? Is it Modern Family? I think Modern Family is all right. Modern Family made like this seemed to double down on this formula, and they have like the biggest offender of 
who is recording this? Where are these shots coming from? What is the point of this? Yeah, I think the point is it's It's a weird drift pattern from The Office to Modern Family. To me, the point is because it's it's done like... It's like theater, right? Where there's a certain aspect of, you know, the theater itself is part of how the story is being told. And I think mockumentary fits into that same kind of mold, which is why, to me... I don't consider it a trope as much as it's a format. And yes, I agree that there are some stories that don't need the format like that attached to it, and others that do. I'm not a fan of Trailer Park Boys, and it makes no sense that Trailer Park Boys is done in a mockumentary format from a logical standpoint. But the nature of those characters' personalities means that they benefit heavily from the ability to look directly at a non-existent camera and say things because that's kind of how those characters are constructed. So I think it's just a tool that might be overused in the post-office Parks and Rec 30 Rock world. Yeah, the only reason it's probably not on the list is, well, one, there's bigger offenders, and two, I thought WandaVision actually utilized the trope well when they kids said, Mom, who are you talking to? Well, because WandaVision was specifically, (laughs) since every episode is at a different point in time, it's literally like, hey, Remember when literally the biggest shows on the planet were all this? Well, that's what we're aiming at right now. Modern Family is probably the main target based on the setting. A little bit but, of Modern Family, a little bit of Office, but I just like the point where they directly call it, who are you talking to? I like the part where the, the cameraman himself asks Wanda a question, and then Wanda's like, what? You're not supposed to talk back. Yes. So, but anyway. So, yeah. Now we can get to the actual list, and I'll start with mine. And this is the, the one that... I said I can't point to like an exact some exact examples. Well, a couple, which is when there are male characters who have medical problems at the same time as a female character going into labor, and the show is equating them or at least comparing them right next to each other. I could think of like Full House. I'm I think Friends did it. Uh, I don't think that seven show ever did it, but I think yeah, Scrubs I did it. On. Scrubs did the Turk gets his hands stuck in the ice machine for almost the entire labor. It's the whole men are incapable of doing anything while the woman is giving birth. Ho, so we can, ho, yeah, we can apply this. Exactly. We can apply this to a broader trope of how men tend to be treated during labor scenes. And you know what? There's, I think there's an easy pushback when, you know, shouldn't labor storylines be about the woman in the first place? They're the one going to labor. Yes. It's kind of exactly the point. Then why the sitcom has to spend I get it because it becomes at the focus in on this one character and there's not a lot of comedy, but it's always competent male character or just male character becomes utterly incompetent at everything. I will admit that's kind of why I think Scrubs actually did kind of fine by basically locking Turk away. The story focused a little bit more on Carla and what she was going through and the weirdness of it bounced back and forth. And the idea was to set Turk up as competent, so it kind of subverts it by, and suddenly he's not. But he, he comes through in the end in the one way, and that it, it kind of subverts it, but it's still that trope of sideline male character, so he can't be here for comedy. Yeah, essentially. Or, I, again, that the more specific example of trying to say, like, oh, this guy's stomach problems, and he's right next to a woman in labor, and isn't it funny that they look like they're doing the exact same yeah. thing? That's dumb, and I hate it. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't have much more to say about it. It's a pretty simple. It's not. I don't think it's that endemic, and it's not that common anymore. I think it was more common in '80s sitcoms. Like, I bet if I went back and looked at stuff that's happening at the same time as Full House, I'd probably find a host of examples of this. But it's just one that I think uh, needs to stay buried. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, my number five is love triangles. God, I hate love triangles. You know, I tend to agree with you. I actually could put it on my list. The Literally, the only reason I didn't put it on the list is because it was already on yours. Because I can think of a few examples of, you know, things made sense and I was into them. And then the love triangle storyline happened. And, okay, like, example. Here's an example where the love triangle works. I liked it in that 70s show when it came to Hyde, Jackie, and Kelso. Yeah. It made a, it made a lot of sense to me. It created good character drama between Hyde and Kelso. And so in that situation, it worked. Once they added Fez to it later, though, it stopped working entirely. The we don't talk about the last season. Yeah, you are correct about that. Whereas an example where it definitely, in my opinion, does not work was when they did it in How I Met Your Mother. The second that yeah. Barney started falling for Robin, I was like, this makes no sense already. It feels like very forced drama. And it didn't even lead to anything since... Barney and Robin get together and then are divorced off screen. It just feels wasted, especially because like you spent all this effort trying to make the Robin Barney relationship seem like a real thing in the last like season. And then you just just destroyed it for no reason. The whole whole episode tearing down how I met your mother and all the ways it failed us. We could. I admit that I, I usually want to get how I met your mother slack because I'm a giant fan of Allison Hannigan. So, and anything she does and also a fan of, Oh, why can't I remember his name? Mike from SLC Punk. Allison oh, Hannigan's uh, why am I thinking of his name? Siegel? I don't know. Yeah, but Jason he's great. Siegel. Yeah, but Jason Siegel's great, too. And so I, I adore those two. It's a and great basically, cast. It just... Yeah. It's funny, because almost everything to do with, with those characters works. It's it's the it's Barney, Robin, and Ted that have the problem. The problem with Love Triangles is, one, it doesn't feel like... it. I don't know if that's a thing that's ever actually happened to a, a real person. Oh, it, it definitely has. But it doesn't happen in the way that you think. Like, yeah. I've seen it some automatically shows... automatically takes me out of it, because yeah, I know seen... this isn't a real thing. Yeah, I've seen shows that are not sitcoms handle it accurately. Because in real life, in my experience, and I admit it's a limited experience, in real life, when you have a love triangle, what tends to happen is that that is a couple... And then one person who, because they are friends with the both of these people, just keeps that shit wrapped and yeah, and, it doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, and it's typically done to, you know, create drama between these three characters, and it disrupts established relationships a lot of the times, and it always goes on too damn long. Yeah, like I admit, in, in my life, I dated someone once for a year who previously had dated someone close to me. For several years. But I waited. There was like a five-year gap between them dating that person and then dating me. Because I was like, no, we're not going to do this. So. And I, I feel like the biggest condemnation of the love triangle is I, I see this now. And it pop, I see it pop up. And now it pops up in my head. Is when you see a love triangle or anything where it's a who will she choose, the joke is hashtag why not polyamory. True. Well, because it current, solves the problem. And I have also dated a polyamorous person now. And, uh, yeah, in the current climate, there is less reason that that can't be. I've actually seen – I while I dated a polyamorous person, they didn't date someone else while they dated me. But I have seen someone in a triangle relationship make it work for a long period of time. And it was mind-opening. This was, like, when I was probably in college. But, yeah, I agree. That's a good – 
Good I'm point. just saying is that we've reached the point that everyone is so tired of love channels. Like, listen, there's a thing called polyamory. Why not try that since you fuckers can't sort your feelings? But it, it's a way, as you said, the biggest problem with it is the way to create an artificial drama between two characters, two sides of the triangle, usually making the third character a – taking away their agency to a certain degree. Like, again, it makes sense in the That 70s Show because Jackie is specifically – also still trying to have something of a relationship with Kelso, but just a different kind of... Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. But the point is that it, a lot of times when it doesn't work, it's because, first of all, one of the lines of the triangle doesn't make sense. Yep. And and especially because they've known that character for a long time. And here's one of the reasons why that doesn't work. Generally speaking, in real life, uh, you don't hang out with someone as a friend for like five years and then suddenly want to become a paramour with them like uh-huh. there are, there are relationships that go from friendship to relationship but the timeline is usually less than a year if that happens so. yeah no i just i i hate love triangles so much and i don't know i i feel like we're talking in circles at this point so i got nothing else to say all right my number four this is another one like a lot like my last one but it's it's specifically how this is acted it's when characters wake up in the morning and are completely shocked by the person they've slept with the night before. Yeah, this doesn't happen. Yeah. This, this is not a thing. Ulrich would know. Uh, not to <laughs> not to reveal too much about him, but in college, Ulrich was a real player <laughs> and also a real drinker. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I can attest that you don't just go, oh, my God, it's you. No, that, that's not a thing that happens. You you can piece bits together and go, I don't remember how we got here, but I'm, I'm not surprised or, okay, this makes sense. Yeah, and the worst thing, the worst thing is when these scenes have the two characters scream at each other. Yeah, it's just dumb, and it's it's bad writing, and it's usually if embarrassing. You for have actors. drunk enough to pass out and forgot how you got there. The last thing you want to do is scream. Yeah, especially both of them screaming at each other. The la- the one, the most recent one I can think of is this happened in Brooklyn Nine Nine, and I love Brooklyn Nine Nine, but it was stupid when it happened in Brooklyn. And it kind it kind of ties into that love triangle. It's like, all right, artificial drama artificial you know this and it's like oh my god these two characters like no you may go oh no i slept with this person or it doesn't but no this is a thing that doesn't happen and because it doesn't happen it immediately takes you out of it because your brain's like that's not a thing that happens which is why again i feel like the more realistic thing is even if you wake up you see someone next to you into bed and you don't remember it and you wish that you hadn't your reaction is not going to be like, oh, oh, my God. Your reaction is most likely going to be quiet indignation and trying to scurry out of there as oh, nicely or quiet. There's lots of processing going, how did I arrive here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what were the steps that led me to this point? I feel like at this point, then, it's just an excuse to try an almost like vaudevillian thing where we can get slapstick comedy out of the, the two characters and, and try to shock the audience by having two characters who would never be together suddenly, you know, be together. And that just reeks of, I think, writing desperation. So yep. it's like, how do we put these two characters together? You know, we, we can't we can't do a love triangle. I know they got drunk and slept together because that's a thing. And then you get into whole kind of weird analysis of, OK, were either of you able to consent to this? That feels kind of gross. It's true. There are some some uncomfortable questions. There is also the fact that it treats alcohol like magic and yep. like, yeah, alcohol can do a, a lot of things. And I have blacked out a couple, like twice 
in my life. Uh, but I still have like flashes. Yeah, you can it. typically put pictures together. Okay, I remember this, and then scene missing, scene missing, scene missing. I remember this, scene missing. But yeah. you can form a framework typically. So there, we can move on to your next one because that's all I have to say about this. All right, my number four: friends suddenly falling in love. Hey, that touches on what I would say with the love triangle. So yeah. Because I didn't even notice that before. But yeah, again, if you're friends with someone for years, the likelihood of you suddenly falling in love with them is very, very, very low. Like outside of a very few very situations. And even then, that's when you're in high school and you're hormonal and you're doing all sorts of stupid shit. Outside of that narrow thing, it doesn't happen. You just don't go, oh, my God, I'm in love with blah, blah, blah. True. It can it can work if your friendship started as children when you didn't have the ability to have hormones, essentially, and then suddenly you do, and now you look at that person different. But that is a very specific this exception. This is always case. adults, and it's always, you know, well, and it's it comes out of nowhere. There is no establishing anything. It's just all of a sudden, and it's typically character going, oh my god, you're in love with blah, and the audience So this asks, would be, let's see, examples of this would be Friends, obviously, with Joey and Rachel. Uh, we mentioned How I Met Your Mother with Barney and Robin, and uh, That 70 Show does it with uh, with Hyde and Jackie. So that's yeah. a little bit different because they hate each other the entire time. So I again, that, was that one kind of fun subversion. It felt more like it was a fun subversion instead of the writers just going now kiss. You know, it's funny. The more I think about this, the more I'm like, I think that Sony show actually managed to do really well with its tropes. But anyway, it threaded the needle on a lot of things. Yeah. So, but anyway, there's there's a, a few examples. So anyway, continue. And, again, it's one of those things that it doesn't happen in real life. And the sitcoms are a bit of escapism. But we've established, like, when this thing keeps happening, you start being on the lookout for, okay. And, again, it's typically forced drama because these characters are either with somebody else or there's a whole bunch of, well, will they make it work? Or, well, you know, oh, another, this odd pairing. Another thing about that is that sitcoms tend to, and I'm I'm really putting quotation marks around this, tend to create a world that you want to that you want to be in like if we think about the basic idea of uh like oh that's an example of something like friends or how i met your mother where there's just always that same place in the restaurant where they can be or the fact that you've got characters in a lot of these sitcoms who work relatable jobs but have apartments well well above what they should be able to afford or that your rundown bar is filled with supermodels and like actors and st- stuff. Like it, these are the kind of things that they're supposed to be. You maybe on a subconscious level, making you feel like, oh, you wish you were part of this, don't you? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can take that back even further to old school stuff like Cheers, where it was literally supposed to be, you want to be part of this family, don't you? So, see, my favorite kind of not necessarily subversion, but calling out of this trope is in Community when they. I didn't- had- Go ahead. You I only got into season four of Community, so. I think it's season two or three, and it's the clip show episode. I must have seen it because I got past season two, but I don't. The, the clip show episode is famous because it's all clips from show episodes we never saw. Oh, that does sound familiar. And it, it's great for, you know, subverting the whole clip show. But there's this great thing where, you know, they're talking, where Annie and Jeff are talking, well, what about all the stolen looks and yada, 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 and blah, 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 blahs. And, you know, trying to insinuate this relationship and just like, I'm like that with everybody. And it flashes to the memories and it's each of the groups and they play this somber, you know, sappy, you know, sickly music. And it just shows all these, you know, passing romantic moments that actually aren't anything. But it's referencing that 
and characters still love, and then it flashed back to all these times that they were really in love, but it was these things. It's like, no, it wasn't. You just made that happen now. <laughs> they yeah. also did it again where they, you know, I think it was like again at the beginning of season two where they said that everyone, you know, they all technically had sexual chemistry with each other. It was entirely possible. And Abed does, you know, the googly eyes at Jeff. <laughs> yeah, but Abed is a special case for a yes, lot of reasons. So. But it's funny because it's calling out this idea of just because you all equally have sexual compatibility with each other doesn't mean you're just all going to fall in love with each other one day just because. Yeah, I'd say for me the biggest reason why this is annoying is, as we've said many times, this is – it's very much takes me out of the situation because I have female friends. You can feel have, the writer's hand at yeah, play. Exactly. I have a number of female friends, and with one exception where it was me and this person were attracted to each other for a long time but couldn't date for extraneous reasons – I don't just suddenly want to date people I've been friends with for years. It's, and I'm pretty sure it's the same vice versa. <laughs> so. If you haven't dated, there's probably a reason. And I don't know, it also kind of just perpetuates the myth that, you know, you can't have platonic, non-sexual relationships with which people. Which you totally with your can. Which, by the way, means that a, a sitcom that actually totally subverted that is uh, Seinfeld. Since the basic idea is that Elaine and Jerry may have had a relationship previously, but they just stay friends for pretty much the entirety of the show's run. Yep, and apparently that was something that Jerry Seinfeld had to fight the network execs on the entire run of the show. I believe it. So. Like, they kept wanting that because they just couldn't, like, no. And again, I don't know, there's kind of a pattern to the things that bug me. Yeah, no, I get it. Which actually relates to my number three. Which, I mean, is literally the same kind of thing, which is when you have a group of friends and they're all dating other people within the group. This is a same kind of thing, you know, friends will follow up, but this is specifically when you've got, like, multiple instances of people dating within your your close friends group. Now, there's something to be said about social circles and how they exist, but generally speaking, this kind of thing doesn't happen, again, for numerous reasons. One, because if you're dating someone long enough and you end chances are high that your social circles are going to, if not break, they're going to bend away from each other. I'm friends with all of my exes. I do not spend time, though, with them or with necessarily people that were more their friends than mine, and they don't spend time with, like, my friends. Like, there's no hard feelings. It's just you just kind of move in different directions. (laughs) Yeah, and I can't remember what show called it out but some show literally called out you know the dating in the group and i think the joke was you're like some weird backwoods inbred hillbilly clan just pairing off amongst each other constantly correct so examples of this would be some ones we've already talked about but would be uh friends friends is a big friends is kind of the go-to because they literally kind of all pair up uh i mean details but so friends is a big one uh that 70s show does it later on um, How I Met Your Mother did it. How I Met Your Mother did it. But How I Met Your Mother, in the very least, one of the couples was a couple from the beginning, and one of the couples was like how it kind of started, and they addressed it. Which, but that's interestingly enough, that wasn't something they planned from the beginning. Mm. They were going to split uh, Lily Marshall and Marshall and Lily, up, yeah. which I'm glad that they did, but then didn't because that relationship is wonderful, and I will fight anyone on that. Anyway, oh, no. so there's but, a lot of yeah, that show. That's not one of them. Yeah, correct. 
uh, Scrubs actually kind of avoid it because while there is the the JD Elliot thing, generally speaking, Turk and Carla is very early, like from episode one, so that's the established relationship. Meanwhile, all the the extraneous cast tended to date externally, and yep. then and then when characters did become standing, they were standing in it. Like Jordan, like Jordan was a supporting character, but then she became like a more main character. So that's even Buffy didn't really have a lot of inner dating amongst the group. And when Buffy did do it, it was a way to kind of point out how toxic and horrible it was. Yeah. A la, a la um, Willow and Xander, as well as Buffy and Spike. So, yeah, no, I'm running in my mind, like, Big ensemble cast where they had lots of pretty people they could slot in and out. Yeah, this this particular trope, the way I'm talking about it, applies with the larger casts. Like, yeah. I feel like this probably happened in Cheers, but I didn't watch enough of it to really remember it. So, anyway. But since it relates very closely to the love triangles and friends suddenly falling in love, I think we can move past it. All right, number th- my number three. And this is one, this one goes back a while. And I, I always think about it like, Man, if you exist in a sitcom world, this has got to be one of the crappy ones. And it's the older sibling fails at life. So quick examples would be uh, Boy Meets World, yep. I believe, and Scrubs as well, which uh, it's funny because now I associate J.D.'s older brother with the reverse Flash. But I don't know. He's always J.D.'s brother for me. Well, it's just because he did such a good job in season one of Flash. Mm-hmm. But when season one of Flash first came out, I was like, that's J.D.'s brother. <laughs> yep. So. I always said, hey, little brother. Exactly. So uh, th- there's two. Is there another? There's got to be another good one. It's basically any show where there's Frasier kind of did it because Niles' life fell apart. But but Niles was also a main character. I feel like this one applies more to when yeah. they bring in a sibling as a, a supporting character. So Boy Meets World's a good one. Ah, uh, Grounded for Life. I guess. I mean, I'm trying to remember what happened to Lily in the in the later seasons. Did she ever graduate? No, Lily totally graduated. That's the last episode of the series was Lily okay, graduating. Okay, so they didn't do that one. So what's in the series where they had an older sibling character? What's funny, though, is that Grounded for Life had a different trope that we're not going to talk about, which is the uh, the non-existent existent kid. Because yeah. the actor who played the youngest son in Grounded for Life couldn't be on site for the last season. So while Henry exists in the show, and they make several references to him, he doesn't appear at all in the I final season. I know that's a thing, but I can't think of any other example where it happened. There are a couple shows that do it, usually with children, because again, child actors can't always be reliable yeah. for that reason, but it, it's just a funny oh, side note. I know one that did it recently. Uh, American Housewife recently did it. I don't even know what American Housewife is. So. Well, it was a pretty good ABC sitcom. Hmm. But basically, it's, it's a trope of if you have typically three kids, by the way, sidebar, I'm glad you brought up Grand for Life, because Grand for Life is one of my favorites. I watched a lot of that, and I just hadn't thought about it in a while, so I love Donald Logue. <laughs> yeah, he's, he was in this season of uh, What We Do in the Shadows as himself. I gotta watch What We Do in the Shadows. Also, oh, Grand for Life introduced me to the guy who played Sam in Reaper, so also a good thing. Anyway, uh, continue. Uh, but typically this trope appears when you have siblings typically three because three is the magic number you have an oldest middle and youngest and it's kind of used as a the older sibling has graduated or moved on in life but we have to have them fail so we can keep them in the show you know what's funny you know what that means that a good subversion of that is malcolm in the middle 
because yes. Francis Francis went the, off and had his own stories and wasn't successful, but he still he kept going. Well, no, he became completely successful. That's why I mean it's a subversion. Yes, in the first couple seasons, he's a massive fuck up. That's the whole idea that he's a problem at military school. But once he leaves military school and finds the ranch, he becomes a cowboy and a good one. And there's a whole episode about his siblings being like, what happened to you? And he's like, I grew up. I'm a fucking adult now. And they managed to get him to light off a bunch of fireworks, but you know, still. <laughs> yeah, but it's that one of, you see a show and you see an older sibling and you're like, all right, you are going to either not go to college or you're going to go to college and fail out or you're not going to be accepted. And you're just going to kind of dink around till the middle sibling is ready to go to college and have their life. And it again, feels very disingenuous and almost like cruel to the character. It, it certainly can. It's funny because, again, thinking about Malcolm in the Middle, that would be Reese then and Reese's story – I don't remember how Reese's story went. Reese the last gets held back a year. Like yeah, I know, I know. His he character goes... development is no, like he's graduated and he fails so that he can be in the last season still going to high school with Malcolm. Really? Yep, huh. that's where he goes, and it feels like, and it, it it's literally halting character development so you can keep them in, you know, not write new stories for them out doing their own thing. And Boy Meets World, it feels particularly cruel because he busts his ass and then gets rejected by every single college. Yeah, and then <laughs> I... just. His, his, there's like a whole story about you know him being bummed up. I'm like, yeah, and that just feels cruel to your character because you're only doing it to keep, you know, no, no, we're not ready to do anything with you yet. When your younger sibling is ready, then you can go off and have adventures of your own. There is some kind of truth to that, though, I think, when it comes to people with siblings. But I do get that it can be, it can there's, feel cruel. Better ways to do it. If you're not going to have them go off and do college, have them get a job, have them have lives. They can still have stories in and around where they are. They don't have to fail. And I mean, even well, again, I would say down, I would say Francis, have them go to a local college and then come home on the weekend so they yeah, can again, still be part of the story. Yeah, I, I think Francis from Malcolm in the Middle would be a good gold example yeah. of how to deal with this. So, yes. And even there, they kind of. Well, he wanted he stepped behind the camera, so they started killing off Francis' storyline, and it ended in a weird place. I don't remember how it ended. I just, like I said, the last I remember he him, he loses the job at the ranch and like a bum for two seasons, and then he comes out. Huh? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's been a long time since I watched Malcolm in the Middle. I was the one I rewatched not too long ago. I, I admit that I start losing track of Malcolm probably around the last half of season three. Like something about once Malcolm becomes like a proper teenager, he becomes kind of insufferable. And <laughs> and Lois and Hal are still great to watch, but Malcolm just becomes harder to want to watch. Malcolm's you know? got some really great highs and lows throughout. But no, Lady Francis, Francis kind of falls into this in, you know, we, we end it with him, you know, on the ranch successful. And then with the next time we see him, he lost a job at the the ranch. Now he's kind of a bum. Everything kind of sucks. Oh, that sucks. I, I retract with my statements then. Sorry. Well, the, the thing was, is he started directing more episodes. Mm. And my friend was like, well, then just don't show him on the ranch. You don't have to torpedo your character. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Weird. And then in the end, he be, he gets a job just like Hal and becomes Hal, essentially, thus starting the cycle over again. Of course. Which uh, I was really not like, oh, that's not, no. Well, it's anyway, if you don't mind, I'm going to skip my number two, because my number two relates to your number one, and we can talk okay. about both of them at the same time. So go ahead with your number two. Uh, my number two kind of ties into my number three. Female love interest has to sacrifice a dream job, school, or opportunity to stay with male love interest. You know what's funny? The way that that's written, I feel like we could just say that and drop it, because any I can't imagine trying to defend that. That's so 
inherently flaw- problematic, you know? Yep. No, this is the Donna. This is the Topanga. This is basically. Oh, you're right. Sorry, Do- Donna. That specific. Okay, don't get me wrong. I love the the Eric Donna relationship for a lot of reasons. She's probably a big part of the reason why I'm into redheads. But her not getting on the bus to go pursue being like a journalist, you know, in college and stuff for Eric is so. As an adult now, who's past teenage relationships, it's it's infuriating. Yeah, and it's the female makes a sacrifice. The male will not make any sacrifices. It's, it's funny because, again, uh, the, JD the, the, and his girlfriend. The hated scrubs. final episode of that 70s show is based around that idea where Eric goes off to Africa. Yep. And so he leaves, even though Donna stayed for him. So it's anyway, sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, uh, and it's it comes in one of it's one of two ways. Either the female character abandons whatever dreams or desires she had. Or the female character goes and pursues those dreams, but she's bad and evil for breaking our main character's heart. What's the most recent example you could think of this? Uh, I had it in my head, and then I lost it. By the way, side note, it does apply to Lily and Marshall, but I think it's funny because that one kind of... I feel like that one is so prickly, because while it does have that where Lily leaves to go pursue her dream, but she comes back, the justification, the reasoning, it all felt very... For a show that is very heightened and not realistic at all, that felt like a very real fight between two people and a very real resolution between two people. So yeah. I always wasn't bothered by it in that case. But Now, anymore, it's now being used as an excuse to write off female love interests. I suppose. It's what I've seen more recently is like, and they go off and do this thing, and it's not like good for them. It's more like, well, now don't you feel bad for our male love interest and we lost a character you love like – there's there's got to be better ways to do this. Like they can have opportunity. These are almost always fictional cities and places. I do feel like I am missing out on what are recent sitcoms. Like, I don't even know what a, a truly recent sitcom. I guess what we do in the shadows is probably very recent, but I haven't watched that. So that's yeah. just based on your words, because I think the most recent sitcom that I've watched in basically its entirety was probably How I Met Your Mother. And that ended like, what, eight years ago or something? So, oh yeah, no, there's been some good ones. American Housewife was good. The Middle's enjoyable. Uh, the Middle, okay, I like The Middle. I did watch like a season or two of that. The Middle actually subverts most of these tropes. They do have the love triangle, and then people suddenly falling in love. They did subvert the older sibling fails at life in like a very smart way. I know that the last time I tried to watch a a film before a live studio audience kind of show, it felt. I don't know. Force is not the right word, but it, it didn't feel right. I feel like you now have to do something very well to make a laugh track not feel forced, I guess. Yeah, I know. People become hyper fixated on laugh tracks, and that's kind of done weird things. I don't know. But no, this is, again, I think the Donna and the Topanga, those are both big ones of these strong female characters that have huge opportunities that they pass up because the male character what isn't was... ready to move. What was Topanga's situation? I, it's been so long. Like Harvard, I think. Really? Okay. Yeah, like full ride scholarship, dream job, everything. I know we're not going to talk about it here, but another quick trope that uh, that Boy Meets World is the perfect example of is when characters who have no business being in the cast anymore continue being in the cast because. And in that show's case, it's why is Mr. Feeney at college at the same time his students are? You leave Mr. Feeney alone. Hey, I love Mr. Feeney, but he was already a neighbor. We don't need to put him in the college class with the characters. So, Mr. Feeney can go wherever Mr. Feeney wants because he's Mr. Feeney. Feeney! 
<laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> Will Freddy is a treasure, but mostly for yeah. as a voice actor, he's a treasure. Trust me on this. And that's <laughs> and that's what recently is he was, he was even talking about this because someone asked him was like, well, what do you you know have to say about the whole Topanga giving up her dreams? And he's like, well, Corey and Topanga were such a nice and I I can't. It was stupid. It was stupid, stupid, stupid. Okay, <laughs> Topanga should have left him, and, or Corey should have gone with her. It shouldn't have been ever a plot. I'm he sorry. Should have gone, he should have gone with her. Everything about that dynamic is that she was the power one and he was the the trophy. He should have gone with her to whatever crazy Ivy League school she got. <laughs> you know, into. Yeah, that's always the problem is it's not the, you know, one opportunity versus another. It's the, this character has a better opportunity and you want to stay here because you want to stay here. I might need to go back and rewatch Boy Meets World. It probably oh, doesn't hold so, up, but. No, it's so good. It, it does, really? Yes. It's still a lot of fun. I mean, there's bits that kind of drag me to the middle, but they do a lot of, it's not as bad as you'd think a 90s sitcom would be. I want to add it to my watch list just because I've been looking for stuff to put on while I work on models, and that's stuff that I can't pay too much attention to. So yeah, yeah World is still fun. All right, cool. Well, then, if you don't mind, let's get into the the final one, which is uh, my final one anyway, and then we'll do my two and your one. My number one, and this again is the only one on my list that actually infuriates me, is when you have a a single character in the cast. That everybody hate and is super mean to, and there's no fucking reason for it. I love Parks and Rec and Superstore, but both these shows are guilty of this, and it infuriates me. Now, Parks and Rec gets one good joke out of it. One good joke. But for the most part, the way that they treat uh, Jerry is unacceptable. Yeah. And, in, and in Superstore, it's, um, I can't remember her name, but... Patrice. No, that's not Patrice. That's Beatrice. Uh, no, it's not Beatrice. I'm trying to remember who does, but I know who yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. But Sandra, again, just, Sandra, uh, Sandra. Yeah. Sandra. It is Sandra. Yeah. yeah, it is Sandra. Yeah. So I just, whenever this happens, it is, it's literally feels like it's just verbally watching a bunch of people kick the shit out of someone on stage and they're expecting you to laugh about it. And, yeah. and it's cruel. And there are always teddy bear characters. They are nice genuine wannabe helpful characters exactly and it's like it'd be one thing it's one thing to have the characters like verbally spar with a dick or be mean to someone who we've shown be mean to the other but literally the idea the whole construction of these characters is they're as nice and warm of people as possible and everyone's just mean to them i get that the basis of that comedy is that because there's no reason for them to be mean to them that meanness comes out of nowhere is unexpected and that's what's funny i understand that it doesn't justify the cruelty to me. <laughs> yeah, no, and I don't get what the joke is. Yeah, it's just that the joke is just this surprise that, oh, why would someone say something like that to such nice people? That's the entirety of the joke. I didn't say it's a good joke. I'm just saying that seems to be what the, the basis of it is. Like Parks and Rec, Jerry has a good joke and he's clumsy but well-meaning. That's a good joke. Everyone hates on him for some reason. I don't get it. I never understood it. Like, what do you, and it's such a smart show that there's almost no wasted jokes. It's like, why that one? What, what is the point of this? And again, you can, you can get away with this a bit if you just give the character a few particular traits. Like, uh, in, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, they kind of get away with this because, uh, because, uh, Boyle is also kind of understandably massively annoying and his whole, hobbies with food and trying to shove 
really disgusting like foods and things on the people like it becomes more understandable but he still has like a friendship with with the main character that there is like realness there this trope is specifically for they have you can tell the writers create a character who really has no actual like character faults at least not in like a serious dramatic narrative sense and we're still gonna have everyone just beat up them beat them up you're bullying a character for no reason yeah, you're right. Bullying. That's the right word. It's just, it's watching bullying, and I cannot stand that. No, I get it. I don't understand it. It doesn't bug me as much, but it is always there in the back of my like, why? What is wrong with this character? And again, I'll say community, they kind of subvert it in, you know, they set up Garrett would typically fill the role of this, you know, beat him up character, but they always kind of sidestep around it like, no, we're, we're, Garrett's got enough issues. We're We're not going to... The joke is just that him. It's not a, it's not a sitcom, but Rick and Morty touches on this in interesting ways because again, a, a Jerry character is frustrating in a lot of ways because the mean, literally the show constructs him to be, he's basically a normal dude. He's literally supposed to be essentially like, yeah, he might be a little, little dumb and a little obnoxious, but he's, Supposed to be the guy that, even though you don't want to relate to, you probably do on some level, and then watch everyone mercilessly mock him. It's not; it doesn't bug me as much as it does in Parks and Rec and and uh, and, and Superstore. In fact, in season one, I think it actually works pretty well. But after like four seasons of kick the shit out of Jerry, it becomes exhausting. So, I mean, I like how they ended the Jerry, but. Again, they don't need the joke of everyone's mean to him for reasons that are never explained. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on and let's finish this out with your number one and my number two because they're related. This is my number one. This was people that we asked on social media's number one. It is the will they, won't they. And my number two is when will they, won't they couples get together, they're not allowed to be happy at all. Yep. I loathe the will they, won't they, because 99% of the time, it's a, they will, and we're just counting down the time until they get there, and we don't get any meaningful relationships because, well, they're in the way of this couple that we are driving towards. Here's my problem. And then, when they do get together, oh, go ahead. When they do get together, we have to throw in controversies and issues to keep things interesting and then break them up so that we can get them back together again, and it's just pure dickery yeah my problem with the will they won't they is specifically the won't they and what i mean by that is that i think there's good sitcom story and drama out of building up for a set period of time a will they story let's for example take the the penultimate the gold standard both in good and bad for what a will they won't they is which is the ross rachel relationship in friends now what's the good about it, because in season one, the whole buildup to it makes a lot of sense. And the final uh, moment of of Ross coming back into the window as she's crying and she turns around and sees him and they kiss in the door. It's great. It's great stuff. The, the problem comes when how many times did they break up and get together again over the course of the series where it just becomes completely unrealistic, pull you out of it, force desperate drama. And you grow to hate the characters for it. Yeah. Like, breaking up one singing back together, you can kind of, you can get away with that in certain circumstances. How I Met Your Mother did it with Lillian Marshall. Uh, 
that 70s show, probably a little too much, but still the Eric Donna breakup is actually done pretty well. Uh, that gets had, together. It lasted long enough, and it felt like, okay, this has stakes. This feels yeah. appropriate. Yeah, but again, those shows show that once you get the characters back together, just fucking leave them together. You can have a just fine story with two people in a loving relationship. Lily and Marshall are probably the best example of that because they, but, but again, the Ross Rachel is the, there's a reason why even in Scrubs, another sitcom with a terrible will they, won't they with JD and Elliot, they, Dr. Cox references them as the Ross Rachel. Yep. No, the, the uh, Scrubs is my go-to example because I'm sure Sarah Chalk is a perfectly nice woman. I loathe the character of Elliot. I'm fine with Elliot, but after Why does she get progressively worse? I will... Okay, I'll accept that. She does... Yeah. yeah. And two, the amount of times they have them break up and get back together and the damage they do in-universe to get there is so annoying. I feel like... Like, they give them both good partners and establish they're over each other and then go, nah, they're back together again. It's funny because Scrubs set itself up too to have the perfect kind of way of dealing with it, which was, you know, they had the relationship, they broke up, they even had a whole like episode about how difficult it is to still be in each other's areas because they work together in a post breakup, finally reaching a point where they can kind of be friends, then kept that going for a long time. And then seemingly out of nowhere, they have this relationship stuff again, mostly because JD was a fucking idiot, but still. It, so, according to Bill Lawrence, the idea always was they were going to have a couple seasons of they get together, they break up, they get together, they break up. Because, you know, it's what happens. You're working in close proximity, your dating pool is small, you're going to go back to the same person. But by that second time, they were realized they are not good together, everyone had told it, and they were free to move on. The problem was, Network Notes said, no, no, people like them together, make them get together. Goddamn Network Notes, man. Did you know, did you know that the reason why Titus... My favorite sitcom, why it ended. So in, in Titus, right, episode five, they have the two characters in the course of one episode. They're together. They break up. They cheat on each other. They fight. They get back together. That all happened because it was based on an actual thing that happened in Titus's stand-up, which probably happened to some degree in reality. Yeah. Not the point. The point is that Titus got that story out in episode five of season one. Cut to three, you know, the end of season three, you know, they're married. Things are great. Titus, Christopher Titus as a showrunner is like, this is a story about people who get through anything. And the studio head at Fox handed him a show notes that said, we want the two characters to fight, break up and cheat on each other, which first of all, they already fucking did in season one. (laughs) But Titus then went to the studio head and said no, and he put his foot down, and he apparently called the studio head an idiot to their face. But uh, that's why they killed the show. So yeah, no, and it's because this idea of well, the will they won't they is a strong sitcom trope, but nobody likes it because you know they're going to get together, and you know that you can't get attached to any other romantic pairing because they're going to kill them off. Which is why the I'm worst... sorry, Kim and JD were perfect together. Yeah, but it's also why I think the absolute worst example of this trope, in my opinion is How I Met Your Mother, which... How I Met because, Your Mother is the gold standard. Well, if, if Ross and Rachel's the gold standard for establishing highs and lows, this is more like the brown standard for doing it in the worst possible well, this way. This is the go-to example of this is what happens when you 
refuse to move off the will they won't they you make the will they won't they the thing because literally episode one episode one tells the audience directly the answer is no they won't so everything going forward is just character interaction it almost gives it a license to have them do get to get get together and get out together because we as the audience know if we're being honest with if the show is being honest with us which it seems to be because we have an, an omniscient narrator from the future that the answer is no only for the literal last scene of the show to make it a yes therefore fucking invalidating entirely the promise that the entirety of the show had been based on since episode one yep and i can get the gamble in that they hoped that we would really, really, really want Robin and Ted to be together. What they but it doesn't make any sense, sorry. Was, but that gamble doesn't work when you spent an entire season and a half making Barney and Robin's relationship. Oh, that's the whole thing. I'm talking like from the outset. Because I know. They, that, that was always planned. I know, but I'm saying that it just it makes it feel even worse when it's like, then why would you spend so much effort trying to get us to invest in this Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, there's the, the the whole final season was definitely when they should have realized abort, this will not work because they saw we fell in love with the mother. Oh yeah, she like, was great. This perfect. It's amazing too because they spent all that time building up to her. She, it was already going to be a gamble to even introduce her at all and have mm-hmm. her be a character because that's a lot of build up. But they got a really good actress. They wrote her really well, and then they killed her. Yeah, and we felt bad, and it was like, oh, that's so tragic. He's been telling them this story because their mother isn't around. That's perfect. That's good. And then it goes, actually, and then kind of cocks an eyebrow. She's like, no. The story was you. never about her. Ooh. And there's there's a couple alternate endings, and most of them just kind of cut with, and that's how I met your mother. They don't do any more. Like, someone somewhere realized, like, this is probably the better idea. We shouldn't do the... Because even if you want to have Robin and Barney break up, fine, okay, that was kind of in there. If they never really worked, but why spend a whole season? But imagine, work? just imagine, man, if How I Met Your Mother instead ended on like a somber note, where he still does all that, she still dies, he tells his kids that they have a moment together, and then it just ends with him like looking at a picture of her, and then just fades out in a sincere moment. Yes, like that's all. Because that you want to. Talk about the ending poisoning a show. That is one that this people went, no, no, fuck you. I sat through 10 seasons for you to go. It was Robin all along. No. <laughs> and I mean, we, we, Ted was losing steam. Like as a character, people did not like Ted. I don't like Ted. But when you get to the end and you're like, so after, you know, basically it felt like you went out and you hooked up with Robin again after your wife died is what it feels like. Not narratively, but structurally. Because we're just now dealing with the death of a character we love, immediately followed by, and I'm back together with her again. Yeah, which again is one of those things where like maybe they thought, well, because there's time that passed for him, but time didn't pass for the audience, as yep. you just established. So that's not how it comes across. It's uh, it's a prime example of they they had the ending written out beforehand, and they committed to it, and they never thought to adjust it based on the feedback they were getting. Yeah. No, and my most recent example, this one really kind of put me off, was I don't know if you watched Sex Ed at all. Uh, I watched the first two seasons. Okay, well, the third season's out. You know, they've established a will-they-won't-they they there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole series is kind of predicated on a will-they-won't-they, they, yeah. but it's one that anyway, bugs me only a little bit. Kind of goes in like when they're subverting it. They establish love interests for both our characters. They do a really good job setting up one of the love interests. It's like, oh, actually, you're an interesting character. They're doing depth. They're building on. And then, because it's will-they-won't-they, they, they break it off, and it makes our main character look like an asshole. Unfortunate. 
and that's what happens every single time they do a will they honestly i will say though honestly i'm far more invested in the will they won't they of his best friend but yeah see here's what i have to say about season three of sex ed i liked it but they did a whole lot of relationship torpedoing Ah, that's too bad yeah and that's what I mean. That's like the, probably the biggest sin of the will they won't they is it always makes the characters come off worse mm-hmm. because it's a sudden breakup so they can get back together with the main character. It's never natural. It's it's going good. It's going good. All right, time's up. Time for you to dump them. Time for you to cheat on them. Time for them to cheat on you. Time well, that for does something. That, that does bring us right back to Ross, who is the very guilty of that. <laughs> I don't know. I always go back to the JD. Elliot one in that JD had the opportunity to start a family. He was gonna had everything set up and he broke up with Kim because well he just wasn't in love with her, but he was in love with Elliot again for reasons that <sighs> fucking stupid. Anyway, so there are Oh ten... last thing that's last. Oh, go ahead. The reason I love community so much is they do the will they won't they and they analyze it. And this is a spoiler for community, but it's not really a spoiler at this point. It's like they go, no. They won't. And then they go into why they won't and why will they won't. These are dumb in, in and of themselves. Oh, that reminds me. Probably the newest sitcom I've watched was New Girl. And I kind of fell out of New Girl after the will they won't they got into the relationship and then broke up. And I don't know if that's why I stopped watching New Girl. Probably not. But if they I get mean, back kind together. Of why I, get... I fell out of Superstore was, well, one, Superstore kind of got weird. But also when they decided to introduce a will they won't they between two characters that I like, no, he's, no, stop. You can have yeah. platonic characters. Anyway, so there are ten tropes that we at the Geeks with Shields think need to be buried. Yeah, let us know what some of your favorite ones are. I'm curious if there's some we didn't think of. I know there's some we didn't think of. Oh, there's These are just tons. the most passionate ones that I feel and five that Axel feels strongly for. Yeah, there, there are so many sitcom-y tropes. Like, I went through a few lists before I picked these ones and these were just the ones that stuck out to me. So, yeah. I'm sure if I sat down and, like, you know, did a good sitcom binge, I would unearth, like, a dozen more. Like, oh, yeah, there's that one. Oh, and there's that one. Well, anyway, why don't we get into our suggestions of the week before we end. And speaking of shows, my suggestion of the week is I've recently gotten heavily into You, the Netflix original show. I, oh boy, go on. And, and You is enjoyable for the same reasons that Dexter is. So I'd say yes. if if you're a fan of Dexter, the the good parts of Dexter, you will be a fan of you. I will say I just finished season two, and while season one and two are amazing, I kind of don't want to watch season three, because season two ends in such a way that I was like, this is a great ending for the series. If I just ended here, this would kind of be a perfect what it is. I can't actually imagine a lot of good coming out from continuing. So I have no idea how good season three is. I don't know, but I just know season that I'm worried about good, it. But I, I, I'm almost going to say, because I know you just, just walk away. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? That season two ends in that great way. Yes. So here's the thing. I watched, like when I watched all of season one, I was like, this is fun and enjoyable and just weird, but I'm going to get out. And then she watched season two and I kind of half watched season two. And I'm like, okay, this was, I, I'm definitely staying out. And then she got through season three and she told me how season three ended. I'm like, I'm glad I jumped ship when I did because that is the kind of engaging, trashy stuff that would, you know, draw me in. But at the same time, she was yelling at the TV. And I know if I watched it, I would also be yelling at the TV. For anyone who might not know what I'm talking about when I say it's enjoyable for the same reasons as Dexter, you is about a guy named Joe 
who is really into books and who has an obsessive personality, particularly obsessive about people. Now, in writing circles, voiceover is considered a hack move because generally speaking, it's a crutch for bad writing. But if you've got good writing and a good performer, there is little that's more effective than voiceover. And this has good writing and a great performer. So even though you're yeah. in the mind of this deranged man and you know he's deranged, you know that he is a damaged person. He's so charismatic and you and he takes you through his thinking that you get behind him. Even though you know you shouldn't and you know he's bad, you still kind of root for him in that terrible way. I'm not saying yeah. that so that's kind of what is fascinating about you. So that first season, they they came out and said, "Listen, you you're not like he himself said. You're not supposed to like the character or want to you know date him or be romantically involved with him at all." And I'm like, "Yeah, but that's kind of the point. Is on the outside, he seems like perfect, you know, companion material. But when you get down to the surface, you're like, oh, you're a psychopath." And also, there's there's things about him that are commendable. The show goes a long way to be like. He's not a irredeemably terrible person. There are things about him that are good. He has a very invested interest in taking care of young people because his own youth was terrible. It doesn't justify the terrible things he does to other people, but it does give you this kind of like in. Like my, my I myself, I look at him and I'm like, okay, I definitely don't want to be you, but I do wish I had like 20% of your passion. Yeah, no, I would call this a quicksand show in that if you get engaged, you're going to be sucked in and there's no getting out. Yeah. Anyway, that's that. why I jumped off at season one. I'm like, that was cool. I don't want to watch season two because I don't I no, this showed my blood pressure. Good God. Anyway, like I said, it's good for a lot of the same reasons Dexter is uh, when when Dexter is good. Sidebar, Dexter New Blood so far is very good, although I've been hurt before. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> you on Netflix. Good recommendation. Uh, I'm also going to suggest a show on Netflix, which I'm telling everyone to watch because I loved it so much. It is called Terror Along the Dotted Line. I haven't heard of it. This one seems to be flying under the radar, which kind of bums me out because it's so fucking good. It is a animated series based on the comics of the same name by an Italian uh, comic writer who, you know, wrote and voiced all but one of the characters. And it's him, it's semi-autobiographical, you know, talking about his upbringing and his life. And it's also part of him telling the story about trying to get on a train. And it's a bit surrealist, like his conscience is represented by a large orange armadillo, okay. who is both his conscience and his uh, inner self-criticism. All right. It's a bit weird, but it's it's like BoJack Horseman in a lot of ways. I mean, I love BoJack Horseman. It has a lot in common with BoJack Horseman in that it draws you in with the humor, and then when you're not looking, hits you with the sad hammer over the back of the head. Ooh, I'm in like, kind of the perfect mental state for the sad hammer right now. So it You do not know where you are, where this trip is going and what it's leading to until the second to last episode, and then you realize, and it's too late. Wait, wait, so animated voice... Guy with an armadillo conscience, but what's the actual plot? So he and two of his friends are getting on a train to go somewhere. Okay. And that's the main through line. And then it flashes back. Like, there's parts of the journeys. There's parts of, like, him flashing back. And uh, why it's called Tear Along the Dotted Line. And this whole thing is this kind of introspection on in life. It's like you have a cutout of yourself. And you have to follow this perfect path to make the perfect you. But you get so caught up 
in making sure you're tearing perfectly on that you know dotted line, doing all the things you could, that you're afraid to go off the path. Because if you go off the path, well, then you failed at your life. So you become seized by indecision. How long is the show? Uh, there's like eight of, we watched it all in a night. Okay. All right, cool. It's really right. good, but it really did kind of, it, it's very introspective. This was based on his life and his events. It's kind of, it's a kind of a, it's one part, you know, stand up comedy, one part, you know, just animated series. Uh, I think that the best joke I can do, which, which is only, I think it's only funny if you are Italian or you know Italians, is his car breaks down and he has to jack it up and everything goes wrong and it's the end of the world and he goes, and so I do the one thing that I hate to do, the thing that's damning my country, I call my mother to come take care of this for me. Okay. And it's a whole joke about Italians' relationship with their mothers. Uh, all right. I don't got to touch that one, but uh, you caught my interest. I'm at a time. I will watch say list. this. This is If you liked Bojack Horseman, you will love this. And I it's do a like lot of Bojack. Stuff. Like, Bojack is almost certainly, like, my top ten favorite TV shows. So, yeah, and probably. The, the end speech is one part heartbreaking, one part just perfect. All right. All right. Yeah, I'm really trying to get grassroots for this because he's written a whole bunch of other comics. This is a one-season thing. They could do more, and I want to see more from this because it's hilarious, and it's off the wall, and it's it's so good. Okay. Uh, Tear Along the Dotted Line. Netflix. Awesome. Well, I think that brings us to the end, and we don't have a guest to do any like guest plugging stuff, so you could take us right into our outro. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the things to keep the podcast alive. We've been seeing great numbers, and those numbers are in direct response to you guys, so thank you. Uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podcast, Spotify, and iHeartRadio are all the platforms we're currently on. And you knew at least one of those if you're listening to this. So if there's another one you'd rather uh, be listening to us on, then tell us what it is, and we'll look into it. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.